You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. How's it going, Grace Family Church? Man, all seven locations and those watching online, it's good to have you with us. Man, I, I am just so fired up. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, Ken Ham, who's the CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis, is here. And we actually got to go to the the uh, Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter in February. It's, it's, I'm going to tell you, every family needs to go. The Bible will come to life. Uh, Ken Ham is the author of 25 books. And I just tell you, he's just going to bring it. You guys ready for him to bring it right now? Okay, we're ready, Ken. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Craig, and thank you for the opportunity of uh, being able to speak to you. So I come from a ministry called Answers in Genesis. And by the way, yes, I do have a deep southern accent. Uh, but it's from, from a different southern. So I originally come from Australia. I hope I still sound Australian. I don't want to sound like you. Uh, so the ministry of Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry. That doesn't mean we apologize for our faith. Quite the opposite. We give reasons for what we believe and give answers to the skeptical questions of our day. And Pastor Craig was talking about the Ark Encounter. He came up to visit recently. Uh, how many of you have never been to the Ark Encounter? Oh, dear, look at that. That's terrible. Do you realize this is better than the quality of Disney? And uh, the Ark Encounter is uh, one of two attractions that we have. The Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. And for the Ark Encounter, we have a conference center there, and we have a virtual reality ride. We have a carousel, indoor carousel. We have a zoo. Uh, we have a playground. Uh, zip lines. We have one of the biggest restaurants in America. Uh, it is an incredible place. We're building an indoor children's zoo right now. Uh, so in winter, it'll be nice and warm for everyone. And then you can go inside the ark. And when you go inside the ark, and I'm just going to sort of scan through this really quickly. But when you go inside the ark, uh, you have three floors of exhibits answering questions. And it, it really is better than the quality of Hollywood. You can spend a whole day or two there. In fact, a lot of people spend more than one day. And then the Creation Museum, which is our first attraction, is 45 minutes away from the Ark Encounter, so uh, people come and do both, actually, uh, because we have uh, the two attractions in a special uh, three-day uh, bouncer pass. I think something like a hopper or something, but this is different, because this is for a Christian family-friendly facility uh, that believes marriage is a man and a woman, and there are two genders, male and female. So that's sort of different to some other attractions around the place. And the Creation Museum uh, is state-of-the-art. I mean, we have a planetarium that is laser projection system, tilted dome, incredible programs, our 4D theater uh, that we have. And then we walk you through the whole Bible and we teach you the whole history of the Bible, where it came from. We walk you through uh, from Genesis to Revelation. It all comes alive. Then we have the special uh, exhibit that proclaims the gospel very, very carefully. And uh, then fearfully, wonderfully made the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world. We have our own designers and sculptors opening a new one October 9th. That's three times the size. Borderland, uh, all about the history uh, leading up to first century Jerusalem when uh, God's son became a man. And then we have an insectorium and dinosaur exhibit and the outside gardens and petting zoo and you look at that and you say, wow, I'd love to work there. Of course, we are hiring, so uh, you can come. And actually, 
we do a lot of internships as well, and there's a, a booth out there, and actually our recruiter is out there too. She happened to be in the area uh, visiting some Christian colleges, and we really do look for seasonals. We have our own seasonal housing now. If you're a, a student and you want a job in the summer, uh, summer for, at a Christian organization, college student, high school student, uh, then I encourage you to check out uh, Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. We have 120 full-time jobs going now too. You can start another satellite church up there uh, in northern Kentucky and move up there. How about that? So here we are living in this universe and our big question is, how do we explain all this? I mean, where did it all come from? Why does even matter exist? Why does anything exist at all? Uh, when I debated Bill Nye in 2014 at the Creation Museum, one of the questions at the end from a 10-year-old boy was, where does matter come from? And his answer was, I don't know, it's a mystery. And they said to me, Mr. Ham, what's your answer? I said, well, Bill, we have a book that tells us where everything came from. Uh, and that's true. This book is a very unique book. It's a very different book. So we live on this earth. Where did it come from? Why are people here? Animals, real animals, that come from Australia, of course. Uh, not those mundane things they have, you know, over here in America, deer and things like that. Uh, where do they come from? How do you explain degenerate mutants? A lot of us have those in our home. And dinosaurs, where'd they come from? And why is there death in the world? Got news for you, you're gonna die one day. Sorry about that, but it's true. Why do we live in a world that has both death and life? It seems so contradictory, doesn't it? Full of life, but full of death. How do we explain fossils? And the Grand Canyon, where did come from? What about the so-called races of people? Are there races of people? Well, does science have the answer? When I debated Bill Nye in 2014, he portrayed the debate as science versus the Bible. And the first thing I did, I got up and said, you know what, it's not science versus the Bible. We need to define our terms. A lot of people, even in our churches, have gone through an education system where they haven't realized in many ways the word science has been used in different ways, it means different things, but they don't really get that. There's sort of a bait and switch. For instance, the word science is used with technology, but then the word science is used with beliefs about evolution and millions of years, beliefs about the past. And that's why I said to Bill Nye, first of all, where does the word science come from? It comes from the Latin scientia, which means to know. So the definition is state of knowing or knowledge. So science means knowledge. So if you say science versus the Bible, you mean knowledge versus the Bible. What do you really mean? And so I explained that there's two basic types of science that we need to d differentiate. One is this, experimental observational science, using your five senses, taste, smell, sight, hearing, touch. In the present, we're able to experiment and develop technology. Doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or a Christian, we can all agree on that science. But when it comes to knowledge about the past when you weren't there, that's a different matter altogether. Because Bill Nye wasn't there, I wasn't there. How do we know what happened? How do we know how life came into existence? How do we know how the universe came into existence? And to illustrate this, I'll use a little quote from Bill Nye himself. You can show the earth is not flat, and you can show the earth is not 10,000 years old. Do you realize he's, he's actually there, mixed two things together that are totally different? Because you can show the earth is not flat. We, we, uh, we know, a, um, let me go back to that one there. Uh, we actually have uh, a friend uh, who is an astronaut and he takes video from the space shuttle and he'll be up there again this year uh, taking video. And you can see that the earth is not flat. But, but when he takes those videos, there's no label saying how old the earth is. Have you noticed that? Yeah. No labels at all. 
Because when you're talking about age, that's something to do with the past when you weren't there. It's very, very different. And so when he talks about the earth, you can show the earth is not flat, that's observational science. But when it comes to the age, well, that's talking about historical science or origin science, which means your belief about the past. You know, to further illustrate, take a, a, a murder mystery, right? You watch, a, if you read a murder mystery book or you watch murder mystery on TV, uh, I know I have my favorite detectives that I've watched over the years. There's been a murder and we're trying to investigate. How do we investigate this? Well, actually, you can use observational science. In the present, five senses, you can take people's fingerprints, you can test blood samples. You can even find someone's fingerprints that are there in the, in the murder scene, but they actually didn't do it. You can even find someone's blood there, but they didn't do it. I mean, you could interpret things the wrong way, but nonetheless, you can use observational science to determine things like fingerprints and blood types, but who did it? How do you know who did it? When you weren't there and didn't see it, well, then that's historical science. That's very different. And if you ever watch some of these murder mystery programs, I, I like to watch uh, Perot. Uh, many of you probably don't even know who he is. It's one of the older programs. I've given up on watching a lot of the modern programs. They force LGBT and everything into them, so I go back to the old classic. I'm back to the black, black and white ones these days uh, to try to get something that, that's not uh, terrible. But anyway... He was one of my favorite detectives, but oh, he used to frustrate me. In fact, the program frustrated me. In fact, I don't even know why I ever watched those programs. It's ridiculous because you get halfway through and you know who done it. It's so obvious. He, he made it obvious. It's the butler that did it. And then about three quarters of the way through, there's some evidence you didn't know and you realize the butler didn't do it. It was the maid. And then you get right to the end, you know, a minute or two before the whole thing ends, suddenly introduces evidence you never knew totally changed your conclusions. It was the cook. What's the use of watching the program, right? Because I, I, I didn't know that bit of evidence, so everything changed. Not a waste of time. <laughs> but you know, here's the point. Unless you have all evidence, how do you know for sure? People have been convicted of crimes on the basis of circumstantial evidence to find out that they, they were not guilty. We know that that has happened. How do we explain life? How do we explain the universe? We would need to have all evidence, wouldn't we? Now, Bill Nye, he wasn't there. He didn't see things happen, but he believed that somehow matter came into existence, somehow energy exists, somehow the earth came into existence, somehow water uh, came about on the earth. He didn't see any of it happen. Somehow matter turned into life, and over millions of years, one kind of animal changed into another. There was millions of years of death. The death we see today has gone on for millions of years. The fossils were laid down over millions of years, supposedly, and eventually ape-like creatures turned into people, and here we are sitting in an auditorium in Florida. I mean, that's basically what he believes. But how does he know that? He didn't see any of it happen. That's not observational science. That's his historical science. That's his beliefs about the past. And you say to yourself, how can we, we be sure what happened? We need to know someone who has all evidence because we have a problem. See, the problem we have is this. No matter how much you know, there's an infinite amount more to know, which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much more there is to know anyway, which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much you do know or don't know in relation to whatever there is to know, whatever that is, because you don't know, which means we just don't know much at all, right? There's our problem, right? But if we had all evidence, we could know for sure. Guess what? We have a unique book. It claims over 3,000 times to be the Word of God. It says God knows everything, that God has always been there, that God, who knows everything, has revealed to us 
the whole history of the universe and understanding to enable us to be able to fig figure out the, the present world that we live in. You know, at the Creation Museum, we actually walk people through the history that God reveals to us from Genesis to Revelation. And we call it the seven seas of history. A perfect creation marred by sin, death as a consequence, the catastrophe of Noah's day, the Tower of Babel, God's son steps into history to be Jesus Christ, the God-man, the babe in a manger, dies on a cross, raised from the dead. One day there'll be a new heavens and a new earth to come. And we are here in history. All this has already happened and we're here and this is to come. And you know, if this is true, then the events that God has revealed to us explain the world that we live in, explain who we are, explain why there's death and suffering, explain why we have all these different people groups, explains why we have fossils and so on. But not only that, what you believe about where you came from determines your worldview in every area. If you believe there's no God, we got here by natural processes, Big Bang, evolution, then who decides right and wrong? You do. What's marriage? Well, whatever you want to define it. Uh, what about abortion? Well, we're just animals anyway. What does it matter? Gender, define it any way you want. See, all of those issues are a logical outworking of a foundation of people who, who say there's no God. But I find it, 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 it's perplexing to many people in church because they look out there and they think it's a big puzzle. They say, it's a puzzle. How, how, do, how do we deal with, with abortion? And how do we understand marriage? And what about the gay marriage issue? And what about races? Are there races? And the sanctity of life? And why is there death and suffering? And here's the point that we need to understand as Christians. Do you realize when we're dealing with any of those issues, any issue at all, think about this for a moment, any issue at all, we have to start with the first 11 chapters of the Bible because that's the geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological history. That's the foundation for our worldview to understand everything. Now, we're not going to understand everything in the sense of knowing everything, but we will have the right worldview, the right picture. Do you realize that those first four C's, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, that's foundational to our whole worldview because everything we believe as a Christian, all doctrines, the gospel, everything is founded in that history. And I want to show you that. And not only that, if science, observational science, confirms that history, that's telling you that the doctrines and the gospel based in that history is true, and it is. And so I'm going to say to us, this is the correct history, not Bill Nye's history of millions of years and evolution. This is the correct history. And let me show you, science confirms it. That's what we do at the Ark, the Creation Museum. We write all sorts of books. We, we give answers to people. For instance, where did life come from? Well, the first C is creation because Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, if that's not true, the rest of the Bible is not true. The whole of the Bible depends on that verse being true. So in the, is there any evidence that God created? Because Bill Nye says, no, everything came about by natural processes. Well, let's just take one little example. DNA, that molecule of heredity that builds our chromosomes or the genetic information that builds a human or a dog or a cat or an elephant or, or whatever. DNA is fascinating. Now, back in 1953, two scientists, Watson and Crick, who are atheists, investigated DNA and they came up with the first model helical structure of DNA. And you know what they said? Oh, we found out that DNA is just chemistry, there's no God. In fact, uh, Crick, when he was 86 years old, said the God hypothesis is discredited, 
Uh, he says his distaste for religion, he means Christianity, was one of the prime motives that led up to their sensational discovery. In other words, what they said was, we want to show the world there's no God. Life is built on chemistry. It's just molecules. That's it. No God. Do you know we've now found out that DNA is not just chemistry? You know what DNA is? It's a complex information system and code system. Do you know how many bits of information there are in, in DNA of living things on this planet that builds life, all the different life forms we have? It's not millions, it's not billions, it's not trillions. It's so much more than that. It, basically, it's zillions of bits of information. Here's the interesting thing. There is no natural law that shows that matter produces information. Where did that information come from? It's like a whole library of books filled with information and equations and engineering diagrams. Where did it all come from? Bill Nye says matter produced it by itself. We've never seen matter produce one bit of information by itself. How could matter produce trillions of bits, zillions of bits of information? Information comes from an intelligence. Information comes from information. And not only that, DNA has a code system to read the information. If you've got a book and if it's in Russian and you only speak English, you can't read it. You have to have the code. You have to have the language. DNA has a code to read the DNA. And you know what? The code has to be there to read the information and DNA has the information to make the code to read the information. In other words, it's all got to be there at the same time or it won't work. And codes only come from an intelligence. Codes can never arise by chance random processes on their own. Do you know what DNA cries out? In the beginning, God created. You know what God's word says? If you don't believe in God, you're without excuse because it's so obvious as a God. It's so obvious as a God. Isn't it exciting to be a Christian? Fifteen people excited. That's all there are. We'll get more of you excited as we go on. Hey, have you ever thought about this? Just as a little aside here, where did our week come from? I mean, we measure a day by the rotation of the earth, a month by the earth and the moon, year by the earth and the sun. Where's a week come from? Why seven-day week? Do you know what comes from the Bible? God created everything in six days, rested for once, the basis of the fourth commandment. Seven-day week comes from the Bible. Next time you're talking to an atheist who, who rejects God, say, do you have a seven-day week? Oh, you do? Oh, so you do believe the Bible there because that's where it comes from. And by the way, if God made everything in six millions of years and rested for millions of years, that'd be an interesting week, right? You could tell you where, the place you work that you're in the millions of years rest right now. And if you do that, you'll remain in the millions of years rest, I'm sure. Well, let's go on here. Uh, how do you deal with gender? Hmm. Well, you know what? You start from Genesis 1 to 11 because God has revealed to us the history we need to know. God says he made man in his own image, male and female he created them. I don't see any other options, by the way. Genesis 1.27, male and female. Genesis 5.2, male and female. There it is again, all through the Old Testament. For anyone, male or female. In the New Testament, Jesus, as the God-man, the Son of God, when asked about marriage, quotes the text of Genesis 1.27. Haven't you read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Jesus is attesting to two genders. He does it again in Mark 10.6. From the beginning, God made them male and female. You know what? If you start from the Bible, get rid of all outside influences, guess what? There's only two genders. And science confirms it. Isn't that exciting? It does. Do you know humans are made of 23 pairs of chromosomes? And males have a pair of sex chromosomes, X and Y. Females have X and X. Oh, there it is. Science confirming two genders. 
Now, what you'll find in this world, of course, is people will say to you, oh, but there's these exceptions and so on, you know, two X's and a Y and three X's. Well, there are some so-called exceptions in that sense, but that's the same for all chromosomes because the problem is sin has affected the world and there are mistakes now that occur and mutations, and so there can be problems in any of the, the, the chromosomes, including the sex chromosomes. That doesn't negate the created order, by the way, which is important uh, for us to understand. And those except, so-called exceptions are a fraction of a percent, which means that's not the, the, the general situation at all. And, you know, when, when we also think about this, we realise Genesis 1 to 11 explains why there are differences. Because our sin affected everything. God placed upon us the curse of death. Everything runs down. Now there are mistakes. Now there are uh, mutations. But in the beginning, God created them male and female. So only two uh, genders of humans. And it's very, very important uh, to understand that, male and female. So we can actually define what a woman is. Think about that. If you've watched television, some of our politicians can't, but they don't understand science. I guess that's what the problem is. So let's go on here. Where did marriage come from? Oh, that's a big topic in today's world, isn't it? And do you know that uh, uh, the House of Representatives has passed legislation? It was supposed to go towards the Senate uh, before the midterm elections. It looks like it's not because they're not going to get the votes, but it's the first time in America's history where they're going to totally redefine marriage. So man's going to redefine marriage. That's interesting. So, so congressmen are going to redefine marriage. Congressmen and women are going to redefine marriage. Well, let me ask you a question. Where does marriage come from in the first place? Actually, it comes from the Bible. See, when God made the first man, he made man from dust, not from an ape man. Right? You don't return to an ape man when you die. You return to dust when you die. And it was not good for man to be alone. There was no one else made like him in the image of God. So what did God do? He brought the animals to Adam to name to show there was none like him. You know, he didn't look at a female chimp and say, you know, she's sort of close, you know, we, I could marry, I could date her or something. You know? No, because no one was made in the image of God. And so what did God do? He put Adam to sleep and from his rib, he made the first woman. In fact, even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, woman came from man. She didn't come from an ape woman. You can't add evolution to the Bible like some people try to do in our churches. And then you know what we read in Genesis 2.24? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they'll be one flesh. That is the creation of marriage. Who created marriage? Not congressmen and women, not Joe Biden, not the Supreme Court justices. God created marriage. And there's only one marriage. You realize when God created marriage, it was a man and a woman. It was a male and a female. You see, the doctrine of marriage is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. But then every single doctrine ultimately is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus asked about marriage and he says, have you not read he made the beginning, made the male and female, then he quotes the text of Genesis 2, 24. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and there'll be one flesh. So, flesh. so Jesus quotes Genesis as the foundation for marriage. But think about this. Where does sin, where's the origin of sin? Genesis 1 to 11. Death, Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do you wear clothes? Because you're all wearing clothes, right? Animals don't wear clothes. Why do humans wear clothes? God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have dominion? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have to work? Genesis 1 to 11. 
Do you realize to understand anything at all, you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? And yet for many people, they've been told, no, it's not true, and we can't believe it. And, and many Christian leaders have said, you can add evolution, millions of years to the Bible, and reinterpret Genesis. But if you do, you undermine the foundation of the rest of the Bible for everything. See, how do you deal with abortion? See, what I want us to understand, we need to be gearing our minds this way. We look at all these topics, or how do we deal with this topic, that topic, this topic, that topic. No, you've got to think this way as a Christian. We have God's Word. If this is His Word, we start with the history He's revealed in Genesis 1 to 11, and then we can deal with that particular topic. Uh, God created man in his own image. See, animals weren't created in his image. Only humans were created in God's image. I've had people tell me, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. What's the difference? We're just animals. We're all animals. How did God make the animals? Let the earth bring forth the living creatures. How did he make man? He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And by the way, the next part says, and let them have dominion over the creation. You'll notice a lot of our political leaders today have the creation having dominion over us. And that's true with all this so-called climate. climate. This whole climate change stuff is a religion, by the way. It's a religion of man. See, if you don't start with God's word, understand the flood of Noah's day, how it changed climate, the, the ice age, we're in the settling day and times of the ice age. If you don't have that foundation, you're going to get it all wrong in regard to climate change. Because climates have changed ever since the flood, and they'll continue to change. And when you hear these politicians saying, oh, you know, we're going to destroy the earth. What's the countdown clock now? Six years, seven years, we're going to destroy the earth. That's absurd. You know what God said in Genesis 8, 22 after the flood? While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter will not cease. And you know, one of the things you notice today, a lot of these environmentalists, they base their views on, 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 on man and evolution and millions of years. So they, they look at everything and say, everything natural is good. I see a lot of politicians doing that even in regard to issues of law and order. Man is basically good. Provide the right environment. Man is basically good and he'll respond. You know, the Bible says the heart of man is deceived above all things and desperately wicked, right? And they say, oh, we shouldn't clear our brush from the undergrowth and so on uh, because everything natural is good. And if a fire starts, let it burn. You know what? Everything natural, is, everything out there in, the, in, in our, our earth, everything's cursed. Everything natural is not good. So if you have the wrong foundation, you have the wrong worldview. How do we get off onto that sidetrack? Okay, let's go on here. We're talking about the abortion issue, right? But my point is we've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11. See, the Cincinnati Zoo, which is not far from the Creation Museum uh, there in northern Kentucky, and if you go to it and you visit the apes, you're visiting your family. That's what they tell you. And they have a sign, we are not, after all, the only beings with personalities, rational thought, and emotions. There is no sharp line dividing us from the chimps and other apes. We humans are a part of and not separate from the animal kingdom. In other words, you're just animals. You're no different to the animals. And that's what they want to teach you. Generations of our kids have gone through an education system. You're just an animal. Therefore, man has no value. I mean, you kill children in the womb, kill them out of the womb. What does it really matter? I mean, you can treat human beings the way you want. You're just animals. We wonder why people are acting the way they do. And if you notice there where they say there's no sharp line dividing us from the chimps and other apes, every zoo I go to has a very sharp line <laughs> dividing us. Now, here's the point I want to make. Human DNA. In reproduction, you get DNA from the mother, DNA from the father, and then you have fertilization. This is from our Fearfully Wonderfully Made exhibit uh, at the Creation Museum, and we're opening a new one October 9th, which is three times the size. Do you realize that fertilization 
you have a unique combination of information different to the mother, different to the father, and different to every other human being who exists or has ever existed. Unique. And as your body develops from that fertilized egg, as your body is built, no new information is ever added. You know what that means? You are 100% you made in God's image right from fertilization, which would mean that abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization. And, you know, people say, I heard there was a, I think it was a CNN I don't watch CNN, but uh, it was reported that uh, one of these uh, news media people who, who said, the Bible says nothing about abortion. Well, for a start, the Bible says, do not murder. For a start. And you know what else is interesting? How does God view development in the womb? You know, he tells us, Psalm 139, you knitted me together in your mother's womb. While you were being knit, woven together. Actually, that describes the process. While you were being woven together, it's still you. Your eyes saw my unformed substance before your body was even formed. It was still unformed. And it's you, 100% you, where us made in the image of God right from fertilization. That's how God sees it. But you know what we're told today? My body, my rights. You hear them chanting that today. And uh, even the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, tweeted, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is their decision. It is their body. This is a load of nonsense. She doesn't understand science for a start. A fertilized egg is not part of a woman's body. For a start, it's a different combination of information. How can it be a part of her body? And if it's a male, it has a Y chromosome, so it can't be a part of her body. And you know what's interesting? A fertilized egg is looked on by the, by the woman's body as foreign tissue to reject. Like if you have a kidney transplant, your body says foreign tissue, reject, you have to take anti-rejection drugs. God built an anti-rejection mechanism in the uterus to enable your body to develop. Absolutely fantastic. Come to the Creation Museum and find out about all that. One thing we do have to remember, and I know at our exhibit we do this, we also remind people, because we have people going through these exhibits that have had abortions, for instance, and we remind them that God is a God of love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says, he'll remove our sins as far as the east is from the west and promises to remember them no more. So we need to remember that too. Well, where did death come from? Uh, as I said to you, you're all going to die. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it's true, isn't it? We don't want to face that, but it's true. Death came because the first man, Adam, God didn't make him to be a puppet, to force him to love him. He wanted us to love him because we wanted to. He gave us a choice. If you eat of this one tree, you will die. Adam ate of that tree. That's where sin came from. We're all descendants of Adam. That's why we're all sinners. And that's why we all die. That's where death came from. And because we're made in God's image, even though our bodies die, I mean, Scripture talks about an Ecclesiastes and an animal's body returns to the dust. Uh, but when a human uh, dies, uh, our body might return to the dust, but we don't. We live on. We live on forever uh, because we're made in God's image. And as, as sinners, we can't live with a holy God. He can't look upon sin. He's holy. But God promised a savior back in Genesis 3.15. You know, the babe in a manger, we're coming up to Christmas time, where we celebrate particularly the babe in a manger was promised in Genesis, Genesis 3.15. And then in Genesis 3.21, 
Do you realize God was telling us about the cross that Jesus would die on, be raised from the dead? See, he made garments of skins and clothed Adam and Eve. That's the origin of clothing. That's why you wear clothes. And at the Creation Museum, you see the exhibit, the first blood sacrifice is a covering for their sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Why is that? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, blood represents life, and because death was a penalty for sin, there has to be the giving of life to pay the penalty for sin. But when God killed those animals, he set up the sacrificial system without the Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again. But an animal's blood can't take away our sin. Scripture says that. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sin. It was pointing to the one who would take away our sin. You see, we're not animals. And a man brought sin and death into the world, so a man would need to pay the penalty for sin and death. We're all descendants of that one man. We're all one race. One of us has to pay the penalty, but we can't. We're all sinners. So God stepped into history in the person of his son to become Jesus Christ, the God-man, the babe in a manger, to die on a cross because death was a penalty for sin. He rose from the dead, conquered death, and for those who put their faith and trust in him will spend eternity with him. I pray everyone in this audience has done that because that, that is the most important thing in your entire life. There is nothing more important than that. This, this life we live, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, is nothing compared to eternity. People are so, so vital. I pray that you've done what God says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because the Bible warns us there's a second death if you don't, and that's eternal separation from God. We don't want anyone to have that eternal separation, and that's why we do what we do. Well, where do fossils come from? Hey, you know what? You start from Genesis 1 to 11, because the Bible tells us there's an event called Noah's Flood. If that happened, you'd find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth, and that's what you find. By the way, when you look at fossils, do you know the form of fossil is a catastrophic event? How do you make a fossil? I mean, you imagine you go home and your pet cat suddenly dies. I use cats because I hate cats. <laughs> and you say to yourself, I don't want to lose my cat. I'll fossilize him. You put him outside in the yard, couple of signs, dead cat fossilizing, do not touch. And then like a good student of science, you start taking notes. Day one, dead cat on grass. Day seven, smelly dead cat on grass. Day 20, very smelly dead cat on grass with parts missing. Day 30, where is my cat? Because what happens is an animal dies, decays, it's gone. How do you make billions of fossils, all over billions of them, in layers thousands of feet thick, beautifully preserved? You'd have to have a lot of water and a lot of mud. It sounds like the flood, which was about 4,300 years ago. So most of your fossils aren't, they're not millions of years old. Most of your fossils are 4,300 years old or so. And you see, the fossil record is full of examples like this. Here's an ichthyosaur that's giving birth. It gives a birth to a live young, but it's all fossilized in the middle of giving birth. This fossil is from the Creation Museum, uh, a fish swallowing another fish. Look at the size of that fern frond there. This is at the Ark Encounter. And it just that's one of the best fossilized fern fronds in the world. And it had to happen quickly. It had to be covered quickly. That's what the fossil record speaks of. But I have many people who say to me, well, in that case, where'd, where'd the water from the flood go? Well, it's there in the oceans. Have a look. You're right on the edge of the oceans out here. You can see it. Well, but wait a minute. There's not enough water to cover the mountains. Well, actually, on the top of mountains today, there's marine fossils on the Himalayas, for instance. How'd they get there? Well, what we're saying is 
the mountains weren't as high and the oceans weren't as deep before the flood. You see, if you level out the earth and make it smooth, there's enough water to cover to a depth of two miles. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 104, talking about the flood, that God raised up the mountains, sank the ocean basins, uh, so the water would never again cover the earth. He promised there'll never be another global flood. And that makes sense of why we see all this mountain building at the end of the flood and fossils on the tops of mountains. Wow, it all makes sense. Of course. Or what about where do all the races of people come from? Races? Wait a minute. If the Bible's history is correct, and we all started from Adam and Eve, and they had sons and daughters, and then eight got on a big ship, uh, Noah's Ark, and they came off that ship, gave rise to more people, went through an event called the Tower of Babel. That means there's only one race. We're all one family. We're all related to each other. Whether you like it or not, it means we're all uh, related to each other. We're just having a family get-together here in Florida tonight. Isn't that great to understand? Do you, does it make a difference when you see someone and say, they're my relative? I often think about that when I'm looking at some of these politicians. I think my relatives really need prayer. They really do. Uh, there's not that many real Christian politicians today who, who will stand up for what's right. There's some, but there's not that many. And then you start to think to yourself, that means when you think of people like Donald Trump and Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we're related to all of them. We are, and you're more related than I am because I'm Australian. So you're more closer. <laughs> hey, you know what's interesting? Do you know in the year 2000, a project called the Human Genome Project, they mapped human genes from around the world, I got DNA from different people groups, and you know what they said? It was headed by an atheist. They did observational science. They said, guess what we found? There's only one race. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Who would have ever thought of that? <laughs> they just confirmed the Bible. Right. Of course. Which means there's no such thing as interracial marriage biologically. Think about that. There's no such thing as biracial children or biracial marriages. We're all one race. In fact... The different races the Bible talks about, there's, there's really only two, the saved and the unsaved, the spiritual races. That's how we should look at it. You know, the Bible tells us Noah and his sons and their wives got off the ark, and it, the Bible says the sons of Noah, the whole earth, people of the whole earth, came from the sons of Noah. They went through an event called the Tower of Babel. God gives different languages. They move away from each other because of all the information in our DNA, depending on who marries who, who dies out, different different. Outside features representing minor genetics uh, determine certain groups, but that's just minor genetics. Even when it comes to skin color, people say, how do you get black people and white people? There are no black people, there are no white people. Did you know we are all brown? The main pigment in our skin is a pigment called melanin. And actually, Adam and Eve were probably middle brown with genes for uh, lots of melanin as well as genes for a little bit of melanin. In other words, the big A's and big B's and the little A's and little B's like we did at high school. And their children could have been dark through the light in one generation. There are lots of families like that in the world today. Middle brown couple that have children lighter and darker than them. In fact, there are twins that can be very dark and very light because we're all one race. It's easy to understand. See, people look at me and they say, you're a white person. That's white. I am not a white person. If I was, you'd call 911. Uh, so, and there are no black people. CCRT divides people into black and white, but we're all brown. And we can be dark brown all the way through to light brown. And then the Bible tells us that God's son stepped into history as Jesus Christ, the God-man. Remember the promise in Genesis 3.15? It was fulfilled with the babe in a manger. Born of a virgin. We, we date our calendars from that event. 
And then he died on a cross. Remember the first sacrifice when God made garments of skins and clothed Adam and Eve. It was pointing to the message of the cross, that he would die on a cross and was raised from the dead and offers a free gift of salvation. You see, there was a perfect creation. It'll be perfect again one time in the future. Uh, sin and death entered the world. That's why Jesus died on the cross. The flood of Noah's day had an ark of salvation. In judgment, God provides salvation. He judged sin with death, but promised a savior. He judged the wicked world in Noah's day and had Noah build an ark of salvation and they had to go through one door to be saved. Wow. See, once you understand all this, you start to now understand what's happening in our culture. There's a battle between those who build their thinking on God's word and those who build their thinking on man's word. On God's word, there's only one race. We're all one race, all family. Man's word, lower races, higher races, primitive races, advanced races, those lower mentally, high. That's what Darwin taught. In fact, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, deliberately uh, uh, founded such an organization so that she could see uh, people who are considered the lower races not be able to have children. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. When it comes to marriage, well, marriage comes from the Bible. There's only one, a man and a woman. That means there's such thing as gay marriage. That's why I put marriage in quotes if I talk about gay marriage. They can call it union or whatever they want. I don't care what they want to call it. It is not marriage. There's only one marriage because God created it. And that's a man and a woman. When it comes to gender, God created humans and there's only two genders. Whereas today we find they're trying to redefine that. Uh, abortion, well, it's murder. It's as simple as that. You're killing a human being made in the image of God. But from man's word, hey, we're just animals. It doesn't matter. There's no value to human life. And you know what we're seeing? We're seeing a culture where we see the collapse of Christian morality and increasing moral relativism because we have generations who no longer believe God's word and they believe it's man that determines truth. And you know, this is very important because if you're talking to somebody, you need to know how to talk to them. For instance, I had a person who came and said, I'm gay, I believe in gay marriage, what do you say about that? And I said, well, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, my thinking is built on the Bible. And he said, well, I don't believe the Bible, don't give me that stuff. You know, I've had many Christians over the years say, what do you say to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible? I mean, what, how, how do you talk to them? Because you can't use the Bible because they don't believe the Bible. And I say, wait a minute, if you give up the Bible, you have no foundation for your worldview. It's gone. So I said to him, you don't believe the Bible? Well, I do. Let me ask you a question. Why don't you believe the Bible? Do you think science has disproved the Bible? What were you taught about that? Tell me, what do you believe? Why do you believe what you do? Where do you think you came from? How did the universe get here? Can you show me um, where you got that idea? Can you prove that for me? How do you know that that is true? Tell me, do you believe in right and wrong? How do you decide what's good and what's bad? Remember what Jesus said when a man came to him and said, good master? He said, why do you call me good? There's none good, only God. When, when, when non-Christians are speaking, they always have to borrow from the Christian worldview. Because if you don't have an absolute authority, how can you determine good and bad and right and wrong? What is truth? How do you decide any of that? And you see, you need to be able to talk to them in such a way to reach people today. You've got, you've got to focus on the foundation they have because the worldview clash up here, you're never going to get anywhere if you just focus up there. You know, that's the introduction to our ministry. And let me just say, one of the most important parts of our ministry is to equip you, and your, your pastors want us to equip you. And so I bought the cream of the crop. We have lots of books and curricula and DVDs and all sorts of things, but uh, we brought along with us some of the cream of the crop of the answers to equip people. You know, Hosea said, my people suffer from a lack of knowledge. I think a lot of people today suffer from a lack of knowledge. 
And so for teenagers and adults, uh, these five books here are the cream of the crop of our apologetics book for that age. Divided Nation, why we're losing generations from the church, why the culture is going the way it is, uh, why, uh, what we can do about it as Christians, uh, will they stand? How do you raise godly children uh, in such a secular world? How do we do that? What are the roles of men and women? Creation of Babel, my Genesis 1 to 11 commentary. Uh, it's verse by verse through the book of Genesis and answering the most asked questions that people ask. And it, it's done at a family level so you can understand it and has a devotional aspect. One race, one blood. Myself and my African-American friend, Dr. Charles Ware, wrote that to cover all those issues. Answers book one, 25 of the top questions today that people ask to give you answers. Where did Cain get his wife? How do we know there's a God? How can Noah get the animals on the ark? And so on. And then we have a set for kids. And the answers books for kids, middle school and younger, the most asked questions kids ask. Uh, rhyme book, teaching apologetics and presenting the gospel. One blood for kids, uh, dealing with that issue at their level. And you'll notice that what we do when we go out like this for, for this conference, we have put those sets together and highly discount them. And if you want to get the whole set, it's highly discounted to get uh, the cream of the crop for your whole family. That's the basic starting point to get all these answers. And if you're watching online, uh, then you can actually go and order these online. If you order the whole set, we won't charge you shipping. The others, will, we will charge you a little bit of shipping, but for the whole set, we won't. And you can go to answersbookstore.com slash Florida22. That should be easy to remember. And the code is Florida22. Put that in there, and we will uh, ship those to you or scan the barcode uh, that you see there. Hey, you know what the message is? God's Word is true. It's not just a book of stories. This is the history book of the universe. The history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. We're all descendants of Adam. We're all sinners. We all need salvation. And God has provided the solution in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and visit us uh, at the Ark, the Creation Museum. Come and see the lights at Christmas. Uh, come and uh, be impacted uh, by these leading Christian-themed attractions that honor God's word and present the saving gospel. And I'll hand back to your pastor. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.